0: My name is Rebecca J. Kamariza. This morning, we are going to share the Word of God from the book of Philippians, verse two, up to five. I'm reading in Swahili. Basi, ikiwa kuna kitia moto, chochote katika Kristo, tukiwa na faraja. Yote ya upendo kukiwa na usirika wa waroho kukiwa na upendo moloro na huruma zozote fanyeni shangwe yangu ijae kwa kuwa muna akiri ile ile na muna upendo ule ule Mukiunganishwa pamoja katika nafsi mkishika wazo moja akilini bila kufanya jambo lolote ugomvi uwa kwa ujasiri kwa kujisifu kwa kujisifu bira kwa unyenyekevu uwa Akiri mukihona wengine kuwa ni bora, kuliko nyinyi, mukiendelea kuangalia si faida za ki binafsi za mambo eno wenyewe, tu bila pia faida za ki binafsi za wengine.
2: Count others more significant than yourselves.
1: Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, good morning. morning. My name is Nick Armstrong. I'm with the Glocal Ministry here at Cole. And uh, in case you're confused, this is not a world insight. Um, I will be leading us to the time of the word this morning, although I may shamelessly mention the local ministry from time to time. Um, one of the things that I have discovered is that wherever you go in the world, people fight, and that includes me. Uh, whenever I'd come back from Indonesia on furlough, uh, I would bring with me my Indonesian driving habits. Um, And if if you're familiar with Indonesian driving habits, you'd realize that's not a good thing. Uh, Sometimes I'd quickly become reacquainted with certain hand gestures in America. Uh, In Indonesia, they they drive on the wrong side of the road. Uh, But I I remember riding my bike with my brother-in-law, Vince, and I was on a headlong collision course with another cyclist. Last second, I jumped out of the way, looked back at the guy, and yelled at him, Get on the right side of the path! And Vince turned back to me and said, Nick, he was on the right side of the path. (laughs) Easy to assume a fighting posture. But despite the optimism that we get from Francis Fukuyama's book, The End of History, the fall of the Berlin Wall was not the beginning of a new world order of peace. We have seen no end to fighting in the world. We fight as people. And we see it on different levels between nations, between families, between church members, between cyclists. Uh, we, we just seem to fight We have church splits And we have family breakups because of We have one of the greatest refugee crises That we've ever faced in the world today Over uh, 65 million people in the world today Are forcibly displaced And some of those people have taken refuge in Boise And are worshipping with us today And we're just really thankful you're with us Why is it we fight? And what should we do about it? That's what Paul is getting at in this passage today. In this passage today, he gets to kind of the root problem. You know, the right remedy requires a right diagnosis. And Paul is talking to us today about getting to a right diagnosis and a right remedy so that we can live a gospel community. We can live out the gospel in unity. And as Rod talked about last week, he talked about being a gospel citizen This week we're going to be talking about being a gospel community. So let's take a look at the root of the problem. What is the diagnosis? Why do people fight? Why is it we can't experience? Why is it we don't experience the unity that Paul is calling the church in Philippi to of being of one mind and the same love and being of one spirit in in verse 2? Well, there's two. There's, obviously the problem is sin. He, he gets more specific than that, though, in verse 3. There's two Greek words that he uses. One is selfish ambition, the other is vain conceit. And these are rich words in Greek, and so we're going to take a little bit deeper look at these. In verse 3, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. The, the w- Greek word here is eritheia and it literally means hyper-fighter. That we have this sort of spirit of rivalry. We fight to get what we want because it has to do with our own needs. And so we have this selfish ambition. We have a spirit of rivalry that regulates our relationships with each other. And the spirit of rivalry is really determined more on our needs than it has anything to do with reason and truth and compassion. A hyper fighter is someone who always has to be right. Right. Um, What is right is determined by our needs, and it happens between individuals, it can also happen between groups. Those who are outside of our group, you know, we don't consider right, we consider our group right. It's right because it's my group, and so we divide the world into us and them. We end up uh, belittling anyone who's outside of our group, or we stereotype. Or we even uh, reduce them to a single story. And that's what we call prejudice. The spirit of rivalry, it blinds us to seeing people as God sees people. So we end up seeing people as threats or competitors or annoyances or commodities rather than seeing them as people made in God's image. And furthermore, we see the spirit of rivalry when, this kind of, we have a, it, when it dominates are, are the way that we relate to other people, what we end up doing is we take things really personal. It's, it's not about reason. It's not about truth. It's about me. It's personal. And so Paul says that Arathaea, the spirit of rivalry, is something that is threatening the unity of the church. And it's important to remember here that Paul is addressing the rock star of churches, Right? I mean, if you look at all the letters of Paul, the, the church in Philippi is doing really well. And so Paul is telling even the best of churches, even the best of churches have to watch out from being dominated by the spirit of rivalry. We all have to struggle with it. Now, we'd like to think that any conflict we engage in or any fighting that we engage in is because of principle. But generally, really, if we look at it deeper, it comes down to who's stepping on my toes, who's making me look bad. And so we take everything personal, and this creates fighting. And the spirit of rivalry can sometimes divide us over big things, but oftentimes it's the littlest of things, the most frivolous of things. Uh, If we look at someone else's fight, then we tend to say, That's easily resolved. Uh, It really isn't that big of a deal. But if we look at our own fights, then we see long histories and complexities, and we see it's very difficult. The problem looks very insurmountable. I was listening to a Timothy Keller podcast, and he uh, gives this great illustration from Star Trek. Now, I'm not a Trekkie, so I have to get this stuff secondhand, but he's talking about the captain of Star Trek who confronts, He confronts two leaders of warring parties that are part of the same alien species. He says, why can't you just get along? After all, you're both half black and half white. And the response was, what? Can't you see the obvious? They're half black on the right side, we're half black on the left side. Frivolous things can divide us. What gives rise to the spirit of rivalry? Well, Paul feels that Paul feels like he needs to address it with the the best of churches. In a word, it's kinodoxia. The King James translates this Greek word as vain glory, and I think it's the best translation. Doxa means glory. It's where we get the word doxology, uh, give glory to God. And kinodoxia literally means empty of glory. Colloquially, we would say starved for glory. Or the message, they put it this way. They say, trans, it translates, do nothing out of glory hunger. And this stands in direct contrast to the doxa, or the glory we're to give God. We see, we'll read about it in verse 11 of this chapter. We just read about it in verse 11 of chapter 2. Paul is reminding us that we human beings, we have a hunger for glory. And, and the root meaning of glory is actually weightiness. We long to matter. We long to, to be weighty and last. And every human heart in its deepest region longs to go after glory, to manufacture glory. Timothy Keller put it this way. He said, we feel like somehow we are cosmically small and so we try to act big. And as it turns out, this glory that we're, we're trying to seek is not real. It fades away. Um, If we look at the Western view of glory, we see that it's something that fades away. It's it's, uh, external. We we take our celebrities and we put them on a pedestal, but they come and go. So, So do our winners and so do our MVPs. They come and go, but God's glory does not fade. God's glory is the source of all of reality. And so we see that seeking glory for ourselves cuts us off from that reality. It cuts us off from God's glory. And we find in the end, we're weightless. We're, we're insubstantial. We're ephemeral. We fade away. We're, weighted, we're weighed in the balances and we're found wanting, as it says in the book of, of Daniel about Belshazzar. We have this fundamental instability to seek glory. We have this fundamental instability in our hearts. The greatest fear that we have is to be ignored of having no glory. And just as the serpent said, ever since the serpent said, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, we have tried to manufacture that glory. And so the irony of this is that the more we seek glory, the more we get ignored. I mean, you know, if we're self-centered and self-absorbed and we're only uh, talking about ourselves, who wants to be around a person like that? Why? Because that's not the way we're made. We're we're not made to give glory to ourselves. We're made to give glory to God. We're made to serve and give glory to God, to know God. When we had glory, we had a a physical glory. We lasted. We mattered to each other. Um, we were characterized by unity and love and wisdom and joy. In the garden, we had glory. But when we decided to become like God and we, be- we decided to become masters of our un- own universe, so to speak, then we lost glory. We became subject to death. Everything started falling apart. And it's really what it comes down to. It's a longing for a primordial glory. We-, we have this holy dissatisfaction. As Augustine said, our heart is restless. Why? It's because we're not centered on God, we're centered on ourselves. And so we try to manufacture more glory. When Laura and I were uh, learning language in Indonesia uh, in 1990, um, I remember one of the first things that our language coach, you know, he told that, that old language joke uh, about there being three kinds of language speakers. There's the multilingual, the bilingual, and Americans. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, was, I, was, I wanted to prove him wrong, so I memorized, I worked hard. I worked a lot harder than Laura did. It really wasn't fair. But she learned the language much faster because she went out with the neighbors, she laughed, and she had a good time. I'm in the books, and I'm trying to study and memorize. I'm re- what I'm trying to do is really, I'm seeking perfection. I'm seeking, it's kind of code for vainglory. And then came the unexpected opportunity to get this glory. And after one of the services at church, the pastor invited me to go up and pray for the congregation in Indonesian. Oh, I, had, I was bilingual by then. I had three months of language. <laughs> oh, it was great. What an opportunity to vindicate my language coach. What a great attitude right before you pray, right? <laughs> so here I am. I raise my, my hands and I say, Marikita Berdoa, Bersama Sama. Let us pray together. Well, that's what I wanted to say. Um, what I actually said was, Marikita Bordosa Bersama Sama, which means, let us sin together. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, so much for glory and so much for that guy's sermon. Uh, we hunger for glory. I, lo- I love the way that David Roper puts this. He articulates it in one of his amusings. He said, I ask for the glory that belongs to Jesus alone. Oh, not out loud. I would never make this request out loud where others would hear me. But when I insist that others listen to me, recognize me, consult me, and remember my contributions and give me the honor that I'm due, am I not muttering this prayer? The remedy to hungering after glory we see in verse 5. Beautiful. Have this mind in you which is also in Christ Jesus more education, good role models, they can be helpful to us. We see the self-help section in Amazon. Uh, we can learn two things from the self-help section in Amazon, I think. One is that people are really trying to change themselves. And two is that it's not working very well. Um, we, we need more than an example, and Paul is giving us the solution, the transforming love of Christ, being, having the mind of Christ, being in Christ. Jesus is not only our example, but he is our savior. He is our cure, and he embraced our worst fear. He became small and utterly ignored. Isaiah 53, Jesus had no beauty. He had no majesty. Despite all the, good, the portraits that portray Jesus as really good-looking, there's nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. had an uh, opportunity to uh, have dinner with the sultan of Yogyakarta with a few other people from the university. And uh, it was an interesting experience. The, the sultan's name, by the way, was Sri Buono Kasapuluan, which took me three months just to learn how to say his name. But everything in that room, everyone in that room was situated to show the glory of the sultan just how important he was and how much glory he had. We were cross-legged on the floor, low tables, and the servers with the food had to make sure their heads were never above that of the Sultan. Sounds awkward, but they did an amazing job. But anyway, we have this in contrast, well, you know, this, this pompous, this uh, tradition of the Javanese palace in direct contrast to the God of the universe The God of all of creation, emptying himself of glory. The Greek word here is kenosis. We will read about it next week in verse 7. It has the same Greek root as kenodoxia. Kenosis means the emptying of glory, but kenodoxia means that we actually clamor after glory. We're starved for it to get it ourselves. The God of the universe became ugly and poor and weak and vulnerable. He became, because of Herod's tyrannical rule, he became a child refugee. He was utterly rejected on the cross. Eli, Eli, Lema my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you utterly ignored me? He has taken our fear of, of being ignored of not having no glory. Jesus took what we deserved and he emptied himself of glory. He became despised and rejected. Do we feel ignorable? We are. We are ignorable. That gets to the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's when we say, I have no righteousness on my own that God can clothe us with his perfect righteousness. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, Grace confronts us with the truth saying, you are a sinner, a great and desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner you are to a God who loves you. God emptied himself of glory. He got ignored in our place, and he is the remedy to this disease of kenodoxia, of hungering for our own glory. With the mind of Christ, we don't have to seek our own glory. We can embrace who we are, nothing without Christ, everything with Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Jesus is telling us we don't have to worry if people ignore us because I love you. That's what Jesus is telling us. Have the mind in Christ means we can also follow Paul's instructions in verse 3 and 4 in humility. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of us look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, which is only made possible with the mind of Christ. With the mind of Christ, we're, we're free from making other people small in order to make ourselves big. We can treat everyone with dignity and respect regardless of their background or ethnicity or religion or political party, social class, we can treat everyone as image bearers of God. Around God's table we really don't have to pretend that we're something we're not. We can have the same mind, we can have the same agape love, we can live in unity and this unity it doesn't mean that we agree with each other all the time. What it means is that we serve each other. We reconcile with each other. We seek God's kingdom together. That's what we're meant for, is to seek God's kingdom. The unity that Paul is asking for the church in Philippi is the unity he's asking for the body of Christ all over the world. And today we have with us brothers and sisters in Christ from all over Africa. Amazing to have them worshiping with us today. What a glimpse of that unity we also have as part of our body, we have uh, Rebecca Camariza from the Congo. We have uh, also uh, Omar Khan and his family that are, are part of our fellowship, another glimpse of unity. But you know this unity of the body of Christ should also remind us to pray for those who are suffering brutal repression and persecution, and including those that are forced to become refugees and leave their homes. When one part of the body suffers, all parts of the body share in its suffering. Unity is the living out of the gospel in community. Living out the gospel in community where we care about each other. We see this in Paul's life. We see he's in this brutal Roman prison. and Rod told us the, a few weeks back just about how terrible these places are. And here he is. He's, he is tell- he's encouraging the church in Philippi. He's telling them how much he loves them. He's telling them uh, just a- about his affection for them and about how his own imprisonment will advance the gospel. I'd, so I love this uh, Rembrandt's depiction of Paul in prison. The mind of Christ, someone who loves and cares for, has affection for the church in Philippi. Brad Carr uh, also told me of the gospel community being lived out by the secondary staff at Coal Valley. Uh, Amazing. They came around a Muslim couple, uh, Adelisa and Tariq. They they work at a cleaning service there, and uh, it's just this the secondary staff surrounded them with friendship, became really close, and Adelisa became pregnant, grew in her pregnancy. They just showered her with encouragement and gifts and baby clothes and all sorts of stuff. And the the main thing, though, he he really stressed is that it was just the kindness, just the day-to-day kindness that they showed this couple. But he he said at the very end of May, uh, when school was over, they presented this couple, Adelisa and Tariq, with this gift. It was a financial gift to help them through when the baby got born. And they, and they wept because of the generosity and love showed to them. This is the gospel community being lived out. The gospel community being lived out by the different local friendship teams that have come alongside so many different refugee families to help them and to help them integrate and to just love on them. Uh, it's, it, we see the gospel community being lived out by the Widows Connection uh, who has come around Rebecca and helped her to to ad- adjust and to integrate into life here. It's a strange life here in America for someone who has come from Africa. And there's a, a lot of adjustment needed. But I'd really love to show you a video. Uh, it's, it, it features Omar and Rebecca, and they have a chance to share just a small part of their story. Um, and I think you'll see in this the gospel community. I also think uh, that you will... You'll just... Get a glimpse for how blessed we are as a fellowship to have them as part of Cole Community Church. So I want to show that video.
2: So we normally had our uh, secret church in Afghanistan. It was on the basement and every week we had a fellowship and one day the terrorists attacked on, on on our building and they killed a couple of our friends in the church and then the government started to start to arrest me because I left Islam and become Christian then I, I left Afghanistan and become a refugee in Pakistan Afghanistan we, we had a good community even our church was secret because of security reason but we had a good groups of people and we we are friends up to now it doesn't matter in what part of the world we are, we live the day that i heard that i am going to to united states the miracle started in my in my life a great welcome in here at the airport from the agency and a good friends and and fellowship in here and being in touch and going to to the church freely it's amazing it's a god's blessing and To go to a church like Cole Community, it was like a kind of a dream. Uh, Cole Community Church being a great ambassador of Jesus in here and really showed the, the love of God, the love of Jesus to the refugees in here. So I just, I say thank you, thank you very much Cole Community Church.
0: born in the Congo in a village called Jomba Ruchuro uh, because Congo we used to have war very different rebels losing my family like my husband and my three children so I end up going to neighborhood country Uganda so it's where I came to know Jesus This lady used to pass nearby where I used to stay and she asked me one day, what's wrong with you? I never see you happy, I never see you laughing like other people. And I shared what happened to me back home in the Congo. So this lady started telling me the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you follow Jesus, when you give yourself to Jesus he will walk with you until the end she started telling me Jesus can heal you even if you you have pain in your life you have wounds in your soul but Jesus can heal this wound you can be happy again because when you have Jesus and you accept Jesus to be your savior I can assure you that you are going to be a new creature. It was 2014. It was in April 29. It's the day I arrived in Boise here. And then there's a family of um, Karine and a husband, Christian. So they told me, we have a friend, we have a picnic. Can we... Take you there? I said, yes, I would like to go there. Of course, I was uh, new. I don't know anything. I don't know anywhere. Laura and husband Nick, they came to me. Then we went to that picnic for the first time. Then after that, Laura contacted me to another lady, Faith. So Faith brought me to call coming to church. So Faith introduced you because you are a widow to the widow connection, I will introduce you to a lady, Doris. Doris, she was so sweet. She was adorable. Then Doris introduced me again to Suzanne. Suzanne again, she introduced me to Karen. (laughs) So all those group of those widows, they did a big job in me. (laughs) Let me say they turned to be my new family. Suzanne, and Karen, they are like my elder sisters. In my happiness, inside, they are with me. They are there for me every day. Through this group of widow connection, the thing I learned which I didn't know before, it's love. But I came to find out to them that you have to love each other. Like, as Jesus said, so this word jesus said i found in these ladies and the people in call community church they have real love i thank them and i love them broken bodies scattered on broken floor
1: all the earth now weeps for her children
0: and please, now
1: we really are blessed to have Omar and his family and Rebecca uh, as part of our fellowship here. Um, you know, the common thread to all of these gospel community stories that we've, we've talked about here is, is really relationship. It's about friendship, time, and consistency. Giving ourselves away, um, being emptied, uh, kenosis. You know, we we have the God of the universe who emptied Himself of glory and taught His disciples: greater love has no one than this, but to lay down His life for His friends. You know, I came from an LDS background, and I came I, before I knew the Lord. I heard lots of arguments none of them penetrated. It was really a group of people that came around me and showed me friendship and showed me love and that really cared about me. And they, they put up with my weird questions and, and, and they just uh, surrounded me. And that's the context which I began to understand the gospel, this gospel community being lived out. I have a friend uh, who came from Saudi Arabia in 2011, a Muslim, his name is dofer and he uh, came to study at Boise State and he told me the story of how he came to know Christ. He came to know Christ through a friend and that friend's name is John Manning. John Manning uh, surrounded him with just care and concern. He listened to him. Yeah, Doffer tells the story of just about how he had all of these... He, he didn't want to know Jesus. He didn't want to, to come to Jesus. But, but John just continued to patiently uh, listen to him and his struggles. He, he was quick to listen and slow to speak. And he, pati- he was just patient with him. And he said, I couldn't explain it. I love being around John. And he said, I came to, to love John as, as a brother, he said. In 2012, Daffer, he gave his life to Christ. And uh, he has since become part of the Welcome Housing Ministry for Refugees. And he builds friendships with those who have come to take refuge here in Boise. Recently, he met a Kurdish Syrian family, became very good friends and led them to Christ just about a month ago. Amazing. So, you know, here we have friendship, God using friendship, and he's teaching us to have uh, the mind of Christ in order to live out the gospel to live out the gospel in community. The church is the hermeneutic of the gospel. We'll understand the gospel through the church. And it means that uh, the unity of the church will help showcase the gospel. It will be a sign of God's kingdom. It will also bring joy, as we read about in verse 2. Paul's joy will be made complete by the unity being lived out by the church in Philippi. The unity of the gospel is the gospel being lived out in community and it's only made possible with the mind of christ so may we leave here with the mind of christ no longer being driven by the need for for glory and our own glory but being able to put others needs before our own and let this be a witness to the world around us of god's good news for the world let's pray father god uh Help us. Help us to to intimately know and love your Son, Jesus. Help us to understand what he did for us, that he took on the sins of the world. He became small and ignored so that we can live big and beautiful lives. We can live lives that matter. We can embrace who we truly are. Nothing without you. Everything with you. Lord, help us to experience the unity and love uh, that you have in relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And give us your mind so that we can live in unity and the world around us will understand the invitation, Lord, to be uh, fellow partakers of grace and to, to come to your banquet table. We
0: pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.